Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. Today's guest is Aaron Washington, uh, which was the name of my friend from high school, but spelled differently. Uh, he was a guy, she's a lady, uh, and not only a lady, she's a mom. She's a mom with two kids and former Division I college athlete. We talk about the former Division I college athlete. And, uh, and she's the founder of Squats and Margaritas which is a book and a podcast, but it's also become her brand after she struggled for decades with bulimia, anorexia, and depression, which is what we get into in this episode. We talk about how it's the secrets that keep us sick and how our eating disorders thrive in isolation. And we also get into so much more, all about eating disorders. I hope you enjoy. Kick back, relax. I felt like I was talking to my best friend throughout this entire episode. Uh, and if you need somebody to talk to, you can go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. And with that said, let's jump into the episode. <laughs> I'll be, I'm is excited. my connection good in here or am I losing you I'm literally hiding in my closet like literally <laughs> legit in my closet because I have two young kids yeah yeah what do you what do you, what do you have uh girls boys what, what, what's over there I got one of each yeah I got one of each I got a four-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy oh wow they're at that mm. age where you yeah. need all the energy <laughs> and I was quarantined with them for months <laughs> oh oh because you work from home do you work from home no, just the quarantine, like yeah. coronavirus quarantine. Yeah. yeah and they, yeah. I don't know. It's just, been, it has been a challenge. Uh, I don't know. We're not sending our kids back to school. I don't know. I know you're a former football player. I don't know if you know, my husband is a retired, um, he's a pro bowl linebacker for the Redskins and uh, he is retired and I work from home. So our kids are home with us and we decided not to send them to school during this time. <laughs> Wait, is that why your last name is Washington? Because you play for the Redskins? Like, it, how how deep no. is his love yeah, for the made, team? When he dates someone, he has you adopt the last name. No. <laughs> um, he His last name is Washington, and he retired from Washington. He also played for the Colts, but he didn't change his name. Um, he kept the same one. Oh but God. all three of us were Division One collegiate athletes how cool is that well uh, first of all i love that you first of all once a collegiate athlete always yes. a division one don't that that former i saw that former i was like mm -mm, i'm i'm still well i gotta <laughs> tell you more then you're gonna be disappointed in me <laughs> you're gonna be real disappointed in me when you get this whole story uh, oh tell me the whole it's story definitely former i'm here for it well <laughs> so like you with football. Like I played soccer all my life. Um, funny enough, my dad was a punter in the NFL and we all, me and my three younger sisters all got division one soccer scholarships. <laughs> so we all inherited his leg, but only me, um, real quick, are you, what is your birth order by chance? So I see if you can relate to me or not. All right. So technically, are you first? Okay, I am. <laughs> I, okay, so I have a, a sister who's four years younger than me. And so we you're were, firstborn. And yeah, we grew up in the same household. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's okay. a black family, right? So 
It, my it, husband it, is black. Okay. I got you. All right. So it's comp. You know, our families are complicated. <laughs> it's not linear. It's there not. Was, okay. <laughs> I, I I understand. You understand okay. exactly what Say I'm no saying. More. Okay. So <laughs> I, no more. the household I grew up in. <laughs> You were the oldest. I'm the oldest. You were the oldest in that house. Yeah. But my father had another family at the same time on the other side of town. Yeah. So when you put the families together, I am the second youngest. So I have two older sisters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I still feel like it may apply you growing up in the household as the firstborn. Like perfectionism, like... I was super motivated. Like I said, all my sisters, all four of us got college scholarships, but none of them were as psycho as I was like training all year long, like outside taking penalty kicks. Like when I, I mean, I was obsessed with doing well in soccer and, you know, I played since I was four and in high school, you know, I was captain of the soccer team. We were back to back state champions. I never came off the field. So we get to college and I, trained my ass off all year like I always did in typical Aaron form won all the fitness stuff when you got in there and then I wasn't playing a lot and when I wrote my book I realized I have a problem with fairness like what's fair (laughs) and I felt like I had earned a place on that field like I would go in I mean I played as a freshman which my husband's like if you're playing with a fresh as a freshman that's a big deal but I know I had earned more playing time and I ended up quitting division one soccer my sophomore year, because I felt like it didn't matter what I did in practice. It didn't matter how hard I worked. Like he was in his recruits and I signed on real late. So I feel like he just didn't have a place for me. And as you know, as much as you put into soccer, I mean, to your sport, if you're not playing and all you're putting in is to soccer, like I'm not, I quit. And I didn't realize like how much of my identity was soccer, soccer, soccer until I quit. And that is when my entire life like spiraled downward, like depression. Like, could you imagine, Leo? Like, I had to go work out in the regular student like activity center. Like, I couldn't go to like where the a- in the athlete building anymore. Oh, and it the was, horror! Like, it was weird. No, like, I get know, it. No, I get it though. You know, I feel like, you. I'm like, oh, I'm not allowed to yeah. work out in there anymore. It was weird. Like, it did something to me. Like, it really. I just felt like I had no identity and no place, and. I mean, depression on top of eating disorders, as you know, like when you're in a division one strength and conditioning program, you eat whatever you want. And I continued to do so, (laughs) but I was not in a division one strength and conditioning program. And I gained a lot of weight and I just didn't care about anything. Like once soccer and my identity was gone, it was like, that was, I didn't have anything else. So I finished out the last two years of college. I was definitely depressed. I was not on any medication for it yet. I had no, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't play soccer. Like what else was there for me to do? And I ended up, I had like fighting with my parents. It was just like all this like volatile situation once I quit soccer. And I didn't realize how much of an impact it had until later, but I ended up taking a job in DC when I lived in Ohio and I moved out here and didn't know anyone except the person that hired me. And I would go to my apartment, which was, it's quite literally the size of my closet now, like the smallest studio apartment you could ever imagine. And I would come home from work on Fridays and not leave until Monday morning and go back to to work. Like I was just in a dark apartment alone every day, like for a year thinking like, 
there's nothing else for me. Like I didn't want to meet anyone. It's like almost like didn't want to be happy. Like I was done. Like I didn't have soccer and it was just, I just like kind of hung it up. (laughs) That was, that was it. And, uh, a year into my job where I was like in my little safe house that I made and never talked to anyone, my boss ended up being the, uh, he was the voice of the Redskins, well, excuse me, the Washington football team. They are not the Redskins anymore. Um, and he was like, let's go. Like, you come with me. Because I was his assistant. And like I said, proving myself. I went there. Um, I started dating my husband, who at the time was in the height of his career, like just came off his Pro Bowl season. And I have no self-confidence. So that almost like, as exciting it would be to like fall in love, like it almost made it worse because everywhere we went, there were beautiful women approaching him. And I would just feel worse about myself. Like I was obsessed with trying to catch him cheating on me and just went into this, like, I don't know why he's with me. Like he could be with anyone he wanted. Like I struggled for a good 15 years, just not knowing my purpose, my place, not knowing why my husband wanted anything to do with me. He was going to cheat eating disorders. I mean, I, disclosed in my book, nobody knew I struggled with bulimia for 10 years. Cause it was like, after my soccer, I couldn't keep the weight off. And it was like, that was bulimia was like one thing I could control. Like I was a hot mess for over a decade and I didn't know what was, I didn't think there was anything else for me. I always thought like when I was with my husband, like he was this NFL athlete and it was like, I was just kind of in the passenger seat. And that was like my role. And I always wanted to be a mom. And luckily I am, I have two kids and I always just thought I would be a stay-at-home mom. And then within the last two years, I have launched a brand. I've written a book. I got a podcast and now have a little bit of a voice, you know, to help people that did struggle with depression, eating disorders, all of those things to show that you can come out of it. And if you would have told me 10 years ago, when every night before I went to bed, I was like crouched over a toilet throwing up, that I would be running a lifestyle brand, helping women find their best selves. I told you to put your head down and go sit down somewhere. Like I tell my son, but it happened and it can happen for anyone. Wow. There, so, yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> I'm so, know, right? I'm so glad you, you're willing to share this journey with us because, uh, you know, like you said, we're both division one athletes, not former division one athletes. And when, when you play sports, <laughs> It it does make you focus on weight, how how you look, yeah. how you you know yeah. your your part. I mean, it's all about physical appearance, and and people are constantly sizing you up physically. And you know, what did you yep. eat? Did you work out? What are you doing for your biceps? Oh, your shoulders look amazing. Like so, you're just yep. getting this constant feedback from other people about how you look and 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 that you know what you're eating, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it becomes hard, you know, because I played Division One, and I was I, I was up to two seventy five, but I had to for the position. Yeah. And then, like you said, when football's over or your sport is over, you're like, all right, I don't mm-hmm. I don't need to eat like this anymore. But it's hard to just stop eating yeah. pizza at midnight. Like, who wants to give that up? You know, it's like, or uh, even if you do, you can't like train like you, like nothing. I would be like, Oh, I'll go to work out. I'll do like 45 minutes on the elliptical. Like nothing compares to the type of training right. that we have. Like right. you're not gonna be able to outwork your diet, like doing just on your own. So, so to, to peel back the layers <laughs> on, on bulimia, cause we know there's a lot of men out there also who are struggling uh, with bulimia. Uh, Freddie, yeah. 
Kifton. I forget his name. He's a uh, uh, a soccer uh, player who just released a documentary about his struggle with bulimia. Wow. Yeah, like a week or two ago. So it's on the BBC. We can't get it here in America because they're being selfish. But uh, but you can see trailers and read <laughs> yeah, interviews and stuff uh, for. And he's a soccer player. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, maybe rugby, not soccer. But okay. uh, I think he's a, I think he's a footballer. Close enough. Yeah. Uh, but um, wow. And uh, yeah, he and and he's just like he's in his forties, and he and he's still like I think he's like forty two, but still struggling. Mm-hmm. with uh you know wow. bulimia and he's just like it's something i'm always going to struggle with he's like i can't imagine never not like thinking about the w- extra point one percent body fat i just gained or or whatever um but the uh funny thing though leo bulimia doesn't make you lose weight and i think everyone that's like what people think like when i was anorexic i was so that happened I mean, there's a whole, we could just go all the way back. Let me just tell you for bulimia, like I was bloated and puffy and heavy. Like it doesn't make you thin. Anorexia, sure. But like bulimia is more of a, it's just like a mind thing. Like you can't, you completely check out, you eat all the things. And then it's like that release so that you feel, you go to bed feeling skinny. Like you're, I, I said in my book, like I'd go to bed with my stomach feeling hollow. Like, yes, like success, but you wake up and you're just bloated. Like your eyes are all like bloodshot. It's, it's so it's gross. It's disgusting. So like, obviously it's so hard to finally like expose that about yourself. Like you don't want somebody to know that you're doing that. So if I, I can't even, all I will say is I think if you have an obsessive personality, which I was going to with like the uh, firstborn and you're obsessive about things, the only way you can stop doing that behavior like a bulimia is to channel your obsession into something else. And it may not even be like that positive of a thing. Like I said, like I was obsessed with my catching my boyfriend cheating on me, but it was like the bulimia kind of fell away. And is he still playing soccer or is he retired? Oh, no, no, he's, he's retired, retired he's now. He's, yeah, he's, he's 42. Can you, for the listeners, because I, I realize we haven't even done this and, uh, can you describe yeah. exactly what bulimia is and all the things it entails and then yeah. describe how, like when, when you at your low, like how did it start and then what was the middle and then yeah. what was the, the, I hate to call it the peak, but like you, your, no, 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 yeah. your full bulimia, like what was that? So for the people so who might be struggling, don't know. It was an evolution for me. So my backstory, like I, in high school, I, I feel very sorry for me, but I was homecoming queen. I was prom queen. I was captain of the soccer team. It ended up being like this image that I felt like I had to uphold. Like I had to be thin and I had to be great at soccer. And you look at that girl. And I remember when I was a freshman in the halls, I would see the homecoming queen and just be like, oh my God, like how cool. Like I just thought she was so, it was just so intriguing. And I thought it was amazing. It's a lot of pressure. And you don't want it to, I never wanted people to be like, that's the homecoming queen. Like you feel like you need to keep yourself up. And I struggled very much in high school with anorexia. Like there was a point, I talked about this in my book that I wouldn't eat carrots because it was a starchy carbohydrate. And I would come home from school and make myself nap so that I wouldn't eat and have extra calories. And it was, it got bad. And because only soccer mattered to me, it didn't really hit me how bad it was until my coach one time he came up to me and was like, listen, like you're getting really thin. And instead of 
being like, oh my God, this could affect soccer. Like I'll, I'll start eating. It was like, no, I'm going to show him that I'm thin and I'm still going to be able to, you know, be the best player on this field. But then he equated it to like my soccer prowess, which is like speaking to me. He was like, your crosses aren't as strong anymore. Like you don't have as much power in your legs. And I was like, oh, hold up. Like you're not about to talk about soccer. So then I was like, maybe this is a problem. So I started eating and it evolved into, have you ever heard of exercise bulimia? No, talk to me. Like, yeah, you basically work off the exact amount of food that you ate. Like I, Leo, so, I mean, I can't believe I'm even talking about it. Like I would jot down every calorie of everything I ate on little note cards. So the 300 calories that I would allow myself at lunch. And then I would go downstairs on a cardio machine. I wasn't throwing up, but I was exercising until the number would read 300 calories. Like I was count, like canceling it out. So it was like, I ate nothing. And then I'd feel like success. Like, yes, I ate today. I'm not anorexic, but I was working off the same exact amount of calories that I was eating. And then that was, I was maintaining that through college. Like I was playing division one soccer. And when I wasn't getting on the field and just feeling like I wasn't playing, it wasn't fair. I quit and the weight came on because I wasn't working out like I used to. And then bulimia became how I thought I could get the weight off. So I was like, well, in my mind, I'm like, I can eat whatever I want. This is how it works in a, in my mind, bulimia. I don't know if it's for everyone, but it's like, once you eat something bad, like quote unquote bad, like a piece of cake, it's like, well, I have to get out. So I'm just going to eat the whole cake and a pint of ice cream and a gallon of milk just so I can give, I'm going to throw up anyway. So I might as well eat all the things. So you get to the point where you can throw up because it's easy to throw up because your stomach is about to explode. And then you feel like, like I said, going to bed, skinny, hollow, you feel like you did a good job because you know, you got it all out. It doesn't really count. But like I said, until the next morning when you wake up and you're puffy and bloated and I mean, you could kill yourself, you can give yourself a heart attack from bulimia, but it is such a like check out mentally, eat all the things. And then I got rid of it. And once you start doing it, like it is, it just becomes such a habit. All I would think about all day was like binging, like what I could eat because in my mind I can eat it. I'm going to get rid of it. And nobody knows. And Leo, nobody did know. Like when I wrote my book, I had a writing coach or I would send her like chapters and she's like, this is you're, you're vague here. This is vague. And every vague section was because it was my, around my bulimia. And I was like, well, I'm not talking about that in my book. I'm going to talk about my life now and how I can help women. And she's like, you have no credibility. And like, how does everybody know you weren't always in shape? And she's like, you need to write your story. And I, I ended up listening to her because she was like, that is your book, your story. But I had to like sit my parents down and be like, listen, I'm writing a book and there's going to be some stuff in it that you didn't know because it's so isolating because it's so embarrassing and disgusting that you don't want anyone to know you're doing it. So I would never, and once I stopped doing it, it was like, oh God, I'm glad nobody else heard about that. But Ever since I shared it, the women that reach out to me that have read my book and are like, you're the first person that I've ever told that I have an eating disorder because I disclosed, I disclosed that I had it. It's like, I, they can trust me. It's giving someone an outlet. And once I shared that, like I I share everything now, I feel like that was my purpose. I was supposed to go through that dark time to be able to help women that are still in it now. And now I wouldn't even get to this, but I'm in the best shape of my life, like better than division one college soccer. I'm damn near, I'm about to be 39 and I have two kids and I got into the shape after having my kids in my late thirties, after dealing with 10 years of depression and bulimia, 
So if I can do it and I can help women, I'm going to talk about it. And anybody that's struggling, like show them that they can do it too. So I have a couple questions. One is you talk about the puffiness and bloating the following day. What is that the result of if Mm -hmm. you emptied everything out? Like you're, so first of all, I don't believe you empty everything out. I think that in your mind, if you eat and Leo in the height of it, I was eating like a cake, a sheet cake, a gallon of ice cream. I knew the things that were like easy to throw up. So I would eat like cake and ice cream and then you throw up, but it's like, I doubt I got all of that out. Like I was still, I'm sure that as much as I was eating, I wasn't getting rid of all of it. And then your, your, your eyes and like, you almost like pop blood vessels in your face. It's so disgusting because like the, the veracity, but the veracity of how you're blowing up, like it's just flying out of your body. Like it's, it's, it affects everything. It was just like this puffy. I look back at pictures and I wonder like how people didn't know in college that I was bulimic because it's not something that makes you skinny. Anorexia, when you're cutting your calories and not eating, that's the, that's the bone thin woman that you worry about. But anybody that looked at me, I'm sure they thought depressed. Like she's not playing soccer anymore. She probably just gained weight. And I'm thinking that I'm doing something that's going to get rid of the weight. It doesn't like it's, it's more just a like mental checkout kind of thing there. It's more about like the release, like getting everything out and just, the habit of it more than it is losing weight. Honestly. When you talk about the release that, that to me denotes like a buildup is, is the buildup just from the food you've just eaten or is there another, yes. like a, another buildup that predates that like stress or feeling out of control? Yeah. I mean, you're, there's nothing more out of control than like binging. Like you're, you just check out and it's, I would tell myself I'm not going to do it, but once you're bulimic and it's like when you're in it, I, like I said, that one thing I shouldn't, I had a piece of pizza. Now I got to have the whole pizza because I'm going to throw up anyway. So I'm just going to eat everything there. It's, it's a control thing. And it's, I honestly, for me, it was like a build of, a, I ate so much. I'm going to throw up. Like I, my body can't handle it. And then I was like, Oh, thank God. You have to eat to that point for me. I don't know for everyone. I'm not a professional, but for me, I had to eat to that point to be able to release it. And feel like I like accomplishment as gross as that sounds like I got it all out. Don't worry. It doesn't count. I got to eat, which was like my, how I fix things. Like I I love to eat. I love food, but like I always had to restrict food, but not if I'm bulimic, then I can eat all the food and I'll just get rid of it. So yeah, I mean, it's control, but the buildup and the release was for me, literally my body couldn't hold the food in anymore. It's so crazy that I'm talking about this, Leo. I don't even like, I never thought I would share it with anyone. I was taking that one to my grave. Like, but if it helps anyone and you are nodding your head right now, like I, I was there, I beat it and I ended up not getting professional help, but there was no shame in getting professional help, like for something that is way beyond your control. And I was there and I know it is something bigger than you, but you can stop and you can kind of just reimagine your life like to something way better. What's interesting is you use the word accomplishment. Can you can yeah. you can you talk more about that feeling and and expound on that? Like I got to eat all the food that you skinny girls can't eat. And I I know you guys want this pizza and you want a piece of cake. I got it, but I just get rid of it. Like it's accomplishment. Like I got to eat all those things, but it it doesn't really count as calories cuz I threw up. As twisted as that sounds, like that's what I meant. Like it was such a I can eat whatever I want. I just throw it up. 
but it wasn't working. Like it was not working for weight loss, which a lot of people equate with like to bulimia, like, oh, she must be really skinny. No, no, no. Bloated, puffy, like your, your hormone, everything is off. Like your body, like the acid that comes from your stomach, people like your throat can be messed up your teeth. It's almost like, like a drug addict, your teeth can be messed up. If you're doing this every day, there's so many like harmful things you're doing to your body by trying to control your food. What's fascinating too, is, uh, I've recognized, uh, these signs in myself. I, I think I've done it twice where I've thrown up, uh, yeah. the food that I've eaten is usually when mm-hmm. I'm on the road. The two times it's happened, I was on a road and I would, uh, you know, it's just lonely sometimes. E- even yeah. if you, you know, you have someone there with you, it, it's, it's still like this, uh, loneliness. Yeah. And so I was like, I have to get to the root of my loneliness, uh, which is where I started yeah. taking guitar lessons. But, you know, you, you also mentioned, um, th- this idea of like, you know, you have to channel that obsession into something else. Right. And mm-hmm. my, my question is, does that, because the, the obsession with food is so, yeah. um, there's such a focus and such an obsession that it ends up hurting you. So yeah. then do you also have to be careful if you channel that obsession into work or family or something else that you, we, that we overcommit, you know, does that make sense? That question? Yes, It makes total sense. Like it's giving me goosebumps how much it makes sense. Like it's my perfectionist obsessive personality. I almost didn't be, like, I almost wasn't married to my husband and like, thank God he stayed with me through all the challenges I put him through. Like I went from obsessing about food. It kind of just fell away. And I forgot about it because I was so obsessed with my husband cheating on me. And he was giving me no reason to to think that that was happening, but I just had no, I was depressed. I had no self-confidence and I couldn't figure out why he was with me. So I kept just trying to catch him. And I, I was so much like, it was so much that again, my eating disorder fell away, but I was so obsessed that I almost lost him. So being obsessive about things, yeah, it hurts your body. I could have lost my relationship. I talked to, um, a woman on my podcast the other uh, week and she was like, my kids are so into soccer. They're talking about college. Like, I just want to make sure I read your book that I'm doing things the right way. And I said, there's there's something to be said about being a perfectionist and wanting to be great and really like applying yourself. Because like I said, my three younger sisters, they barely like trained in the off season. They're like, it is what it is. My obsession. Yeah. I I played in college, but it can also go to a bad place. There's a point where like that obsession and that perfectionism can go left and like go to a, a, a negative place and you can hurt your body. You can lose relationships. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's all part of my, I, I research like birth order, like every like firstborn I've talked to is like, I just, I was very like hesitant. I never wanted to make a mistake or people to see that I messed up. I wanted to maintain this perfect image of myself. And I, ident- my identity was soccer. And when I lost it, it was like, there was nothing else for me. And then when I met my husband, it was like, I'm just, you know, it's about him and I'm just going to support him and we're going to have kids. Never in my life would I ever think that there was something coming for me. So I get it. Like the people that are depressed and are like, this is just, or stuck in an eating disorder thinking they'll never be able to stop it. Like there's something else as hard as that maybe to see right now. Yeah. I love that you brought up birth order. It makes me also want to ask the question of 
when you look yeah. back at your childhood, were there like subtle messages or covert messages that maybe you received from your parents or, uh, you know, just the people around you in the family that may have contributed so, also? I hate that question. I, I mean, I love that question, but I hate it because I, I love my mom to death. She does not. She is not responsible for any of my mess that I dealt with. But I will say she was always on a diet. I was always cognizant of that. Like she would make little comments like I'm fat, her talking about herself. And I, I did see that. And she is not responsible for all of my eating disorders. But if you have a child that is more susceptible to that kind of criticism, like being self-critical, like obviously my sisters were in the same household and it didn't affect any of them. None of them dealt with eating disorders. None of them really like care what people thought about them. Like when my book came out, Leo, like if, if I got something negative, it was like, I need to respond. I need to defend my honor. <laughs> like, Just, I didn't want anybody to think anything bad. Like they don't care. Like they're just kind of like relaxed. And I'm always like so high strung in perfectionism. And I think they grew up in the same household. So yeah, there, maybe there were cues just like my mom being on diets and stuff, but I was the only one that seemed to be susceptible to it. Like my personality. So even though she was that way in front of them, like none of them dealt with the same stuff. And I feel like a lot of it's firstborn and only children that are like, yes, when I start describing like my daughter is very cautious and she, you know, I have to hold her hand and like loud noises. And then I have my son and he will like run. My husband says he'll stick his face in the fan. Like he'll, he's just running over things and they're so different. And I thought it was boys versus girls, but the more I learn about birth order, it's firstborn versus secondborn. What's the age difference between you and the next born? Two. And then there's three years out between the next one. And then me and the baby are nine years apart. Wow. And and did you oh. being the firstborn have to uh, uh, fall into some type of pseudo parental role over your younger siblings? Or I can't, I mean, just self-imposed, like me just wanting to, like, I, there's pictures of me carrying the baby around on my hip, like just being a little mother. But my mom was like always there. She was a stay at home mom. Um, I guess like setting an example, I always tried to, I don't know. I guess I feel like there was a lot on my shoulders, like in high school, like all the titles and my three little sisters looking up to me. Like I, I just always wanted to be perfect. And it's, I don't know. It, it went to a way... <laughs> it went way farther than it should have. And it became perfectionism became obsession in so many aspects of my life and like took away like two decades of my life from 16 to 36. I struggled. Like I was depressed, all the eating disorders, no self-confidence, like such a negative body image, no matter what, nothing was good enough. It took away like two decades of my life. And so how did you and your, you know, your husband work through all this? I mean, what were those conversations? And I would, I, I would assume that he's trying to be like the, the loving, you know, doting boyfriend, <laughs> yeah. husband, and you're not yeah. buying any of it. You're like, all right, this is a no. scam. Right, right, right. Yeah. Like, I was like, well, I don't get it. Like, because honestly, like, if I was him, I wouldn't date me. Like, I didn't see what he saw in me. Like, I, I had no self-confidence and I would just... Honestly, like these women would come up to the table, like the height of his career. And even if he was on a date with me and he would just, he's from the South, he was just very cordial and talking to them. And I would just be like, I just want to melt away. They're so gorgeous. Like he's probably thinking in his head, like, why is he here with me? And he was like, why are you saying that? Like he saw me always in a good light. And 
I'm actually like 20 pounds lighter than I was when we met. And he's like, you were fine to me then. Like, I didn't see a problem. Like, it was you. It was all in my head. And I almost lost him. Like, the best person I've ever met because of me, like, being in my head. He was always supportive, always telling me there was nothing. Like, we did date for 10 years. So before we got married. So that was always like, well, why doesn't he want to marry me? And I would go there in my head. But I mean, he couldn't have been more supportive. It was me finally getting to a point where I felt better in my own skin. And I write about this in my book too. Like we, I didn't really, I felt confident on our wedding day. Cause I just was in like two a days, like bridal boot camp that I made up obsessive. But then he got a job coaching college football out in San Diego and we moved and I was alone. And we just had, we had just had our daughter, honeymoon baby. So it's like, we're just married. I have a baby. I'm in San Diego. I don't know anyone. And I couldn't work out because he was a college coach. I never saw him. And I ended up having to go to the gym at night at like 730 after being with a newborn all day, because it's the only time I could go. But I told, tell the story because this is kind of when I realized like my athlete came back and I kind of like rebirthed myself. I guess like I went to this gym and they would do these like fitness contests where like, it was like a 200 meter row or a mile run, whatever it may be. So I am six months, six months postpartum, just had my baby and a seven 30 at night. And I kind of roll in there. You never knew when they were going to do these competitions and they're like mile run. And it's not like it's a time mile run, but not just in your class, but it's like the whole gym. You, everybody posted their times And again, here comes my personality. I was like, well, everybody's going to see these times. Like I have to win. Like, I don't want to be like on the board. I want to win. And something sparked in me again, six months postpartum. I ran a 559 mile and I peed my pants full disclosure because I just had a baby, but that's how fast I was running. And I won and I beat the guys in my gym and my name was on top of the board. And I was like, okay, like if I can run the fastest mile at my gym, six months postpartum, like what else can my body do? And something changed in me. I just started working harder, like harder than I had worked before. Like thinking, you know, a lot of people like I went to the gym today just to say they went to the gym. Like I would get everything I could get out of that um, hour and the weight started coming off. And then I made a shift into weight training versus cardio, which I wanted to talk to you about as well. Like I saw so much more results when I started lifting versus just doing cardio all the time. Like I started building muscle and the fat burned off. I felt like I could eat what I wanted and I got my swag back, if you will. And now have a brand and I'm kind of more in the spotlight than my husband. And and no one could have ever seen that coming with what I struggled with. And yeah, like that's, that's how it all kind of turned around. I won a race and was like, dude, I am 36 and just had a baby. What else can I do? And then I just kept pushing myself and I, I mean, I changed my body. I've never been in this good a shape and I'm almost 39 and had two kids. What's so cool about your story is that one, like you said, you know, six months uh, postpartum and you're killing it, right? So that's got to be a huge (laughs) ego boost. And two, to see the flip in the relationship. You know, there's so many people in relationships who think that uh, the way it is is the way it's always going to be. And it's just not mm-hmm. true. The part of being in a relationship is is the ebb and flows. And, you know, when when you're up, then the other person supports you. And, you know, when the other person's up, then you, you know, like you kind of take turns. Sometimes you're both up. Sometimes you're both down. But, you know, yeah. that's the beauty of, of the relationship. And but also love that. 
excuse me, that uh, that it took him 10 years to propose because, you know, me and my girl have been together for a year and she on me right now. So Uh-oh. I'm going to be like, listen, <laughs> it took them 10 years, you know. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm uh, a definitely Leo, assured. I mean, this, full but. disclosure is not just about him. We, uh, I'm from a small town in Ohio in the Midwest, and we dealt with some situations when I brought Marcus home. So it wasn't all on him. And I, there's no way I can paint that picture. We, we had like, we had some family members that weren't accepting and it took, I mean, a while <laughs> to get a lot of people on board, but now it's like, everyone i mean nobody they, they couldn't be closer than they are but there was some struggle just like interracial marriages like i you see it a lot here in dc like i wouldn't even i forget about it sometimes like we went to uh sesame place and like this small town in pennsylvania it's like sesame street world with our kids and we're sitting in this restaurant and this older couple were seated and then we sat got sat with next to them and they say something to the waitress and then they leave and they get up and leave and i was like all right and then I see that they're just in a different part of the restaurant. And I was so like, what? Like, I can't even, I forget that like, it's even a thing. Like they moved because of us. And my husband's just like, that's just like how it is sometimes, like how it still is. And because I've been with him for 15 years, like I don't realize that there's even like a difference. And we still, you know, run into that. Like my, my husband was pushing my daughter at an airport and you know how they put like the little divider up like in the security line. So I, me and my daughter, sorry, I was pushing her at this point, me and my daughter go. And he, the person put the divider on my husband. He's like, that's my family. And they were like, Oh, so they, they like let him go. Then we, on the same trip, we go up to the rental car place. He's pushing my daughter. And the lady's like, whose baby do you have? He's like, she's my baby. And like things like that just happened like a couple years ago. So we dealt with a lot. I don't want to put it on him for 10 years because he put up with a lot. And now we've been together 15 years and have two beautiful children and have to have conversations with them about things that they, you know, maybe asked about or things that me like maybe be pointed out on the playground that they need to be prepared for. And I don't want them. I don't know. I feel like there's a whole other podcast. But like, oh yeah. They, that, that's a whole other, but yeah, I, I appreciate I mean, you sharing that because it, it does yeah. add to, uh, you know, the, the weight of things and it puts, it puts, yeah. it puts it all in a context, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like yeah. he was like, oh, I don't know. I have commitment issues. He's like, no, well, he, was, <laughs> he always said like he wanted to get married after he retired. And but no. Yeah, he had issues like he didn't know what he was about to marry into because of all the stuff that we dealt with. And I honestly like I don't know if I could have done it if it was the reverse, like if his family wasn't that accepting and he's still here with me. He's the best person I've ever known. Like I I'm so lucky. And like I said, I almost lost him because of my obsessive nature that like wanted to be proven right that like he was with somebody else like it's it's I hate the way that I am (laughs) but you can channel it into a positive direction because even though it channeled negatively I was able to channel it after I had my daughter into something positive and it sparked that athlete in me again and it's like now I work out at gyms where like there's other moms that are like they run faster than me they lift heavier than me and I love it like I book my classes with them because it's pushing me to a higher level and I just kind of found that competition again and found myself again, late thirties after having two kids, after struggling, like you'd think in my twenties, I'd be in the best shape of my life. I haven't had kids. I have all the time to be in the gym. No, like (laughs) I found it damn near 40. Um, I get to the gym when I can. I live with balance. I have cocktails daily 
and I work out hard and I don't stress myself out anymore. And I'm 20 pounds lighter, happiest I've ever been in the best shape I've ever been. I love that. The, let me ask you about the, the have to win. You, you talked about being on that <laughs> yeah. treadmill, right? Because mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I realized I was, I've been so outcome dependent and, and then I end up not enjoying the journey. And, yeah. and so I tried, I'm, you know, I'm working on falling in love with the process and just showing up daily. Do you, are you still primarily of the mindset of like have to win or is, I mean, and, and, that, and there's no right or wrong here, right? It's just yeah, uh, no. however, however your, your condition, right? Because we, you know, Tom Brady is a have to win guy. Like he hates yeah. to lose. And, and some of us are just, just built like that. Is that, is that still your primary mode or is there uh, additional thought processes with that? I mean, now just there's so much more on my plate, like being a mom of like two little ones. Like it's not as, I don't know, it's not as top of mind, I would say, but it still would bother me if I ran that race tomorrow and I was on the board in second place. I, I have to tell you, it would. I was a girl in in high school and my mom, I don't even remember this, but my mom would be like, you there was this geometry teacher that was like, if you are not happy with your grade, you could come in the next morning at like 7am, like an hour early and retake the quiz to get a higher grade. And she's like, your sisters would be like, I gotta be yes. Like, cool. She's like, you would get an a minus and you would go to, you would wake up an hour early because I'm going back to get the a, like it was not acceptable. And that I, I hear myself now and how ridiculous that sounds, but it was like, in my mind, I'm like, but if I go tomorrow, I can get an a like, there's enough. And my sisters were like, dude, like we got to be like, we're good, but I don't. And they grew up in the same household. So I can only like relate it to base birth order. Maybe I'm just a freak that like nobody else thinks like this, but yes, I would retake a minus quizzes, Leo. Like I have to just, it's perfectionism. I, it sucks sometimes, but I mean, it served me well some, but and, and, it's more negative than positive. Well, here, here's what I love about it because you know I I hear you saying it's more negative than positive and how, and you know how you hate yourself sometimes uh, because of that. But the, an uh, an additional way to look at it is that we we need the have to win people in the world because the world also produces people like your sisters who are just like we got to be that's good enough. We're kind of laid back and. And because we're not we're not meant to function uh, alone, we're not meant yeah. to function in isolation, right? Because when we talk about these eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, uh, exercise bulimia, those mm-hmm. things thrive on isolation. They yes. thrive on shame and embarrassment. They thrive on you hiding. So, mm-hmm. and 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 it's when we are with others that all of a sudden the puzzle pieces start to uh, connect and click and we start to see the bigger picture, right? Your perfectionism along with your sister's kind of, you know, laid back. Together, there's where the power is. You and your husband, that's where the power is. You, your husband, and your two daughters. And now we have these four different personalities and characteristics and, and vibes that if as long as everybody keeps talking and communicating... Yeah then we can grow. But as soon as one starts to try to do their own little thing often, yep. now we got trouble. <laughs> yes. We compliment each other. Yes. And in isolation, it, yeah, it thrives in isolation. That was so, you just said so much right there. Yes. Because once it's out, 
your secrets are what keep you sick. And it's like, once I said it, it's like, it doesn't have a hold over me anymore. Like it's out, you know, you're not isolated with it anymore. And it's like, what do you got next? Like I, yeah, I'm bulimic and I, I beat it. What, what else, what do you want to talk about now? It's, it's out, it's done. Like it thrives in isolation. And then when you're with like complimentary uh, relationships with other people, like your spouse or your kids or your sisters, you know, everything kind of falls together and you're not like living in isolation anymore. I like that a lot. What, you know, so what are you doing now? Uh, you, you talked about exercising. Are there other mm-hmm. things that you're doing to, uh, for your mental health? Are you, do you journal, read or like, what was your, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I run and it's not to lose weight because people will be like, you always talk about on your Instagram, like lifting heavy and now you're out for a run. I run for my mental sanity, Leo. Like I have a four and a two year old. And if I don't go for a run and like listen to my music and just not have somebody on me for an hour, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to make it through the day. Like I come back to them just refreshed and like ready to deal with whatever they have. Because for me, like you're an athlete too. Like if I don't work out or like I say, I'm going to work out later and it's kind of like looming over me, I keep thinking about it. And once it's done, I can kind of like totally lock in with my kids or with my job or whatever I'm doing. It's like the endorphins. I run for peace and for me, and that's what I do for myself. And once I get it in, I'm a better person to everyone around me. And just this, like my brand, like writing my book, having something for me, that's what I do for me. Like if I was just a stay-at-home mom, not that there's anything wrong with it, that's all I wanted to do. And I didn't have anything that I was like giving back to the world. Now that I have the feedback, like from the women that this book has touched and have helped, I've helped people. Like, I just feel like there's more purpose to my life that I didn't even know. How would I ever know that I would have this? Like, it's like the people that are struggling now, like, this is not it. (laughs) There's something else. You don't even know what it is yet, you know? And yeah, like I, 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 me having a brand for myself is an out, a creative outlet for me. So I feel like I'm contributing something and I'm not just wiping butts and like pouring milk for my children. Right. You know, what's beautiful about what you said is it's almost like a 360, right? Because you're firstborn. And so being firstborn and then you you have, you know, uh, was it three other sisters? So you kind of become a caretaker for them. I mean, it's not like your parents just, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just a role that we fall into. My mom said I did the same thing for my younger sister. And so the the attention Mm -hmm. goes to them. And, And I think that what happens is we kind of lose our voice because we are focused on making sure that everybody else is taken care of, right? And but w- we need to be seen, heard on uh, some way. And so sports uh, became that for us. And yep. then when you take away that, basically you're taking away our voice. And it took you uh, another, you know, uh, twenty years to yep. rediscover <laughs> your voice through your your book and your podcast, yeah. right? And it's like you said, like, you, yep. you, you, you're like, oh, I can't not go back to taking care of other people again. It's like, this, this is what got me here. In the, not that it's what got you here in the first place, but it's a part of the cycle, right, of you yeah. losing your voice. but I am voice. taking care of people now. It's so crazy. Like, now I have my little tribe of women that I have to always remind them, like, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a, a psychologist. But, like, I am the person that, like, a lot of women with eating disorders are checking in with now because they haven't told anybody else. And I want to be that, but it's like, now I have more on my plate. Like I'm taking care of my kids and I have the 
women that I check in on and are trying to, which I want, like, I feel like this is my destiny. Like almost like my identity all through my life was soccer, soccer, soccer. I lost my identity, but I found my destiny, like exactly what I'm supposed to be doing that you could not have told me. I would say even five years ago that I would be doing this. Cause I was still like, I was in better shape, but I never thought like I would have any kind of voice. I never thought I would share my story and it all just kind of organically happened. And it's grown from like a book to a website, to a blog, to a podcast. And I'm helping people now. And I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I love that for, for the listeners out there, please take note uh, of how Erin has taken her, her pain and turned it into her purpose and, you know, so that she can help other people and that way they don't have to go through this. What are some of the stories that you've heard from, from these women, from these people that you've been helping? What, what's, is there one that has really resonated with you and, and, and kind of like you just wake up and you go, oh, that's, that, that's going to keep me going for another, you know, 100 years? Yeah. As soon as you said that, I started thinking about it. A woman uh, messaged me and said, I didn't throw up today because of you. And I hadn't met her yet. And I was like, okay, like, oh my God, that's so great. Like stay in touch with me. And then I ended up, I speak at like little, I do this talks and margaritas where I will take it to like a gym or wherever. And it's just a group of women. And we just have like real honest talks and she showed up and I got to meet her. And now we stay in touch. Like I she is like the first person that like reached out and was like, she didn't throw up today because of me and like me knowing how hard of a thing that is. She read my book and was like, just felt inspired. And there's another girl that I, um, I know she's, she was like, we'll reach out and say, I talked to my therapist about you today. Like she knows all about you. And it just makes you feel like you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Like you're making a difference in people's lives that you don't even know. I love that. And and tell people the name of your book in your in your in your uh, yeah. in your podcast. The book is Squats and Margaritas: A Journey to Finding Balance, and it is on Amazon. And the podcast, Leo, like I was just doing this thing called Talks and Margaritas every uh, Thursday night. I would do Instagram lives. I would have like fun people on, like a lot of comedians, and we would just it was kind of like just getting through the pandemic. Like everybody's home quarantine, pour a cocktail, all go live. And I kept getting like bigger and bigger guests and I didn't even know, but a news station in DC was watching every week. And one week they called and they're like, we want to give you a podcast. Um, our prod- our podcast partners, podcast one, and they produce my show. I just do what I've been doing. And they're like, don't do anything different. They make it sound beautiful and put like all the music beds and everything on it. And they produce it. They promote it for me. And something that I was just doing on my couch to like get my friends through the quarantine has turned into the squats and margaritas podcast available on all podcast platforms. <laughs> I love that. And is there anything that we <laughs> haven't talked about in terms of bulimia, anorexia, depression, any of the struggles that, that, that we haven't talked that you think would be of value to the listeners? I think just like normalizing mental, like people that need like a mental health issue, normalizing it, making people not feel just like isolated. Like you said, like it's, I didn't want to talk about bulimia. Now I talk about it now I'm on anti-anxiety medication because I almost had a panic attack on a plane right after I had my daughter because something shifted in me when I had her that I was just, I would think about like every 
possible negative scenario. Like not even that the plane was going down, but if everybody stands up, I'm not going to be able to get her out. And you just start, my mind would be racing. And my doctor was like, all right, like we need to bring you down a little bit. We're going to put you on this medication. And I felt like it was such a stigma to be like, I'm on anti-anxiety medication. All these other moms are doing it like not medicated, like normalize that if you need help with something, someone told me once, like, if you have diabetes, you take medication so you can live your life. If you have anxiety, if you have depression, you take medication so you can live your life. It's the same thing. It's out of your control. It's not your fault. Just normalize, not making such a stigma about it that people don't get help because they feel, you know, that people are going to like judge them and they're just suffering silently because of that stigma, normalizing it. Everybody that's doing, that's taking something, share that. It brings you closer to people. It's not embarrassing. It's something that's bigger than you, that you are actually taking the steps to get help with. And if you're, you know, in charge of other people like me, if I have two little kids and I'm not treating something that is out of my control and making me feel less, you know, productive and it, it's, you know, a negative thing in my life, then I'm going to address it. And there, there shouldn't be any shame in that. I love that. And so you, you, you have a psychiatrist or is that from your medical, another medical doctor? No, that was just, yeah, that was a, no, I don't have a psychiatrist. I I'm thinking about it. You got, do you have room for me? <laughs> <laughs> After you got all my stuff, you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to pass. No, 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 not at all. The, um, <laughs> but no, I was, it, it's so fascinating. And I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people think that they can do this uh, without, you know, any type of medical help or intervention or that there's shame around, um, you know, taking pills. And it, it's, if it helps to level you out and, and so that you can do the work that you need to do, then by all means, you know, take it, you know, if you have to, yeah. and if it's recommended and, and try it out. Um, it's it's like you said, you know, somebody who has some type of medical condition, they're gonna I have athlete's foot and I'm taking a pill right now right, to yeah, get rid of my athlete's it. foot. Uh, <laughs> it's but the same I'll, thing. It's the same thing. But and you know, and the thing that's beautiful too is uh, and 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 you're already doing this, is you, we also have to remember that it's not just about taking the pill. There's some behavioral changes like not only are you yes. taking the pill for, for your panic attacks or your, your anxiety, you're also mm-hmm. exercising. You're also yeah. mindful of how foods affect, can affect your mood. And I'm, I'm sure you're getting the, you know, the, 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 you're, at least you're trying to. You have two, you have two kids and, and a husband. Yeah. So trying to get the sleep that, that you need. Um, yeah. but so there's other, there's other work to be done. It isn't just stop. It doesn't begin and end with the pill. It, you have to no. have a, a, another plan in place, uh, to, to, uh, supplement that. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad you just said mindful because that was the other thing I wanted to touch on. Like when, um, yeah, you're making lifestyle changes. It sounds so simple, but for someone with an eating disorder, it's, it was hard for me to grasp. It's mindful eating mindfulness. And all it is, is checking in with yourself. Like you have a plate of food in front of you. Are you hungry? Eat. Check in with yourself. Are you still hungry or are you just eating because there's food on the plate? You know, I went from the polar opposite, which is completely checking out and eating all the things. So finding mindfulness, like it was hard for me at first, but I truly, Leo, I eat what I want now, but I don't eat a ton of it. 
I eat until I'm satisfied and then I will save it for later. Maybe a couple hours later, because I put muscle on my body and my metabolism is running, then I'll eat a little bit later. But if you're just mindful and you check in with yourself, you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're satisfied and and not to the point where your stomach is like full, like it's going to burst. I feel like your metabolism and your weight just kind of regulates. And I need to say, I'm not a trainer. I'm not a nutritionist, but I figured this out, this lifestyle of balance where you eat what you want. You don't eat a ton of it. I always talk about fish tacos. If there's fish tacos on the menu, I'm getting fish tacos, but they're going to give you three. And if I am satisfied after one, there's no reason you don't need to eat all three. You don't feel like you're missing out because you did get to get fish tacos. And so I'm like, I didn't have to order a salad, like with no dressing. I ordered fish tacos, but I only ate one. So I don't feel deprived. And I continue living this way because I'm not going to quit on it and be like, I can't eat fish tacos. I'm not doing this. I just don't need to eat three. So it's just that mindfulness. Get what eat, order what you want to eat. Don't eat the whole thing. Just be mindful. Don't eat when you're not hungry. Eat when you are hungry, which was another thing for me. I was always trying to save calories. I would nap. So I didn't eat a lot of calories during the day, but my body was starving. All I was doing was cardio. I wasn't eating. So now when my body is hungry, I don't care if I just ate breakfast. I'll have a second breakfast. I eat when I'm hungry and I respect fullness. Don't just keep eating because there's food there. Watch how much mindfulness can change, you know, your, how much you weigh. Like it doesn't have to be a diet. It's just a lifestyle of mindfulness. Uh, I, I love that. And, you know, part of what I, I think a lot of people eat all three tacos because they're, they're out at dinner and the conversation is boring. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you just eat out of boredom. So make sure you go on a dinner right. with, with people who are not going to make you eat all three tacos. Like, yeah, you know, or at least, you know, I, 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 I promise you, Aaron, seriously, I've, I've had so many boring dinners with people. I now take a list of topics to talk about to make sure no. that I stay engaged. Seriously, because people oh, are so lazy. They just think because people have showed up that we'll just yeah. naturally all have something to talk about. And you will, but will it be in- interesting? Will will I be fascinated? Will it keep me engaged? Will I be enthralled? That's what I, I want. I want to feel alive. I want to. I want us to to have uh, discourse and discussion. I don't yeah. want just idle chit chat. So so I come in yeah. armed. I come you in don't armed. Eat all the tacos. I want to eat yeah. all the tacos. So you, you better <laughs> right. tell me about that divorce. I want to know all about that uh, miscarriage. Tell, right. tell, uh, I remember, <laughs> I want to hear everything. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah, keep you engaged. I get it. Are you coming? Are you doing stand up or anything in anywhere near DC? We need to meet. Uh, I have nothing planned in DC. <laughs> I, <laughs> what All you right know? Then. What's funny is I love. Uh, I did. I did one. Uh, one weekend in DC, and it. I. It made me understand why comics love DC because. Funny yeah, everyone says that. Yeah. The, here's the thing: DC people understand all of it and here's what i mean if you go to the south there's only certain jokes you can do because they're not going right. to go with you on the other ones they get it but they're not they're not going to go with you they're like no 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 we don't mess with that you know yeah. you go you go to the west coast there's uh, you know but in dc and here's what I, what i think it is here's why i think people ride with you on everything because dc is this perfect melting pot of yes. intellectual people who have had to work for where they are. So yeah. they're smart and educated, but they had to put in that blue collar effort 
to get to where they are. So they understand what the the lowest man on the totem pole is going through, but they also understand what the person in the penthouse or the exec is. So they they they, they understand the yeah. full spectrum of humanity and Americans. Where if you go to the Midwest, uh, you know, yeah. they, there's just family in the Midwest. In the South, there's mm-hmm. just church and God, you know. Yeah. So they don't they don't get the, the full 360, you know. Yeah. So DC people are so well rounded, and that's how I grew up in Chicago. I, I grew mm-hmm. up seeing all of it, so I'm like, man, these this these are my people, and yes. uh, and so I can't wait to get back. Yeah, I can't wait. To I get know back. Emma Emma Wilman was on my uh, podcast last week. She's the one that introduced me to you. She's like, you would you need to talk to Leo, and um, she was the one saying like, next time she's back in DC, and she's like, I can't wait. I love doing stand up in DC. It's so funny. You said the same exact thing. Yeah, they they get it's it's not a lot of you know who else gets it? Uh old Jewish yeah. people in Florida. Oh, <laughs> I don't know why. You know why? Because they talk why? about everything. Jewish yeah, I have really I have Jewish clients and there's nothing yeah. that they don't talk about. The, like, to them information <laughs> is currency. So even if they don't yeah. agree with you, they want to know they want to know what you're thinking because you know they 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 trying to prevent the the second, you know, holocaust. So information to them is is vital so no subject is off the table for them and 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 so they they just have this 360 perspective uh on things yeah so i can't wait to get back to dc i i I love it well let me know you you let me know when you're here uh now we we do got a few uh i don't know if you got to wrap up because i know you got kids but I heard you earlier say you want to talk about switching from less cardio to more weight. Yes. So do you want to get into that? You got we time? We need to. People All right, let's do hear. it. Yeah, I, I, it's so worth it because especially women, the whole stigma, you don't want to bulk up. Like I was the same way. Like I wanted to do cardio and burn calories and sweat and like see the number of like how many calories. And when I would lift, I'd be like, I don't even feel like I broke a sweat. I didn't really do anything. I didn't want to get bulky. I will say any women listening to this next time you're in the gym, look around the gym for the best bodies. They're not on the treadmill. They're in the weight room and they're lifting heavy. And I felt like when I just wanted to tone, I would lift like tens, like 10 pound weights. Cause I just wanted to tone. I didn't want to bulk up. I never saw any muscle definition in my body until I started lifting much heavier And I never was able to eat whatever I wanted until I started lifting much heavier because muscle will turn back on your metabolism and help you burn fat. And you can expound on that. (laughs) And and it'll, it'll boost your, your sex life also. Okay. You know, I I mean, let's let's be honest because you know, uh, a lot of when people go to uh, marriage and, and, and family therapy or, or couples, you know, sex and finances, that's what they're going to them for. (laughs) And we know that sex starts outside of the bedroom. So yes. uh, if, you know, when you work out, you release those endorphins, those serotonins, and you feel connected to yourself. That, yes. That's what working Love out that. is. See, that's the part of working out that, that gets like, it's about connecting to your body and, and feeling, you know, like all loosey-goosey and just ready for the world. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you feel tight, then uh, that you know, we, sex is about blood flow. So if you yeah, if you haven't so been true. moving, then you you you're not going. You know that's going to translate into the bedroom or not. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm also like, I'm thinking as a woman, like when I had no self-confidence, like you didn't, you don't like you turn the lights off. Like you feel like you don't feel, I don't know, like you don't have any, it's it, when, after I work out, you just feel better about yourself and you, you know, your self-confidence is going to be so much higher. Like I, when I got in like this good shape, like nothing else brings me down anymore, Leo. Like I would, when I was heavier and I was just frustrated cause I was like, I do a cardio every day. I'm eating salads. And I would just, I would pick fights with my husband. I was just pissed off. And it was because I wasn't happy in my body. And once I figured out this formula of living with balance, mindful eating, lifting heavier, I changed my body and like nothing really gets me down anymore because I'm happy with myself. So it's not like that underlying thing that I'm frustrated about that will like kind of spill into all my other relationships. You, you get help, especially women, you're happy in your body. It will just reflect everywhere else in your life and all your relationships. And you do that by living life with balance, not feeling like you have to quit on plans or you failed. If you want a cookie, eat a cookie. Also go to the gym. If you have a beer at lunch, don't have a beer at dinner, just balancing out your life. So you don't feel like you're completely deprived, but you don't quit either. And you'll just be happy. You'll be happier in your body and just have a happier life. I love it. Aaron, please plug all your things. Where can people find you, get in touch with you, <laughs> share, share all of it. It's so, it's so easy. Squats and margaritas everywhere. <laughs> I'm squats and margaritas on Instagram. The book is called squats and margaritas. It's on Amazon. Um, my podcast is uh, squats and margaritas. You'll never guess. Um, and that is everywhere you get your podcast. You can subscribe. Um, that squatsandmargaritas.com <laughs> is my blog. And I have some merch there where like some tank tops will squat for margaritas, um, tank tops that are doing pretty well. I got masks cause you know, the pandemic, um, but yeah, squats and margaritas, you'll find me. You named all of it. The two hardest words to spell in the English language. <laughs> Squats. What? what? Squats and no, margaritas. Don't nobody know how to spell squat. What? Squats. Squ you know how to spell squats. No, we, so we know how to spell. Because you got to lift and not do cardio. <laughs> That's why I went from cardio and cake to squats and margaritas. And my life changed. You can have a drink. You can have a cocktail. I also have a fabulous, skinny, uh, spicy margarita in my book. Um, you can probably find it on my Instagram page, too. Like, I'm always sharing, like, little balance tips, like a quick workout you can get in when your kids are sitting in the playroom, but you can do it behind them. Or like this recipe that I have for a margarita that you can make during the summer. It's a 10 calorie sugar-free jello ice and a shot of tequila. And it tastes like a daiquiri on the beach and your mixer's 10 calories, stuff like that. I'm your girl. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Check out Aaron Washington squats and margaritas. And, and I looked up your book on Amazon, all five star reviews. So hats off to you. Thank you. I see what you're doing Appreciate over it. there. Uh, Thank you. And last question that I ask of all my guests mm -hmm. is always imagine there's one person listening in who may be on the precipice of ending their life. Before you kill yourself, mm -hmm. what would you say to them, Aaron? That there's more, that this isn't it. <laughs> you know, there's more in store for your life whether you see it coming or not, you just have to be patient and you will find the reason that you're here. Um, the meaning of your life is coming. There's more. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you listeners for tuning in. Remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E or 1-800-273-TALK 
or the other numbers that I list in the show notes because I know I have international listeners. Shout out to London, Sri Lanka, Australia, uh, Sweden, all, all of Asia. I, I appreciate all the listeners worldwide. There are international numbers in the show notes. You can call, you can talk, you can text. Uh, you can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you.